<laughs> I am doing so well. <laughs> um, you know, I love the picture on the uh, parenting thing, which actually my administrative assistant found, not me. But when you think of the job you have of raising your kids or the input you're going to have in your grandkids, this is what, what happens. You're, you've got a plant that is young and tender. And there's nothing you can do at a moment in time that really makes the big changes. It is small things done often that grows children who have strong character. Not any big thing. So you have a little plant, you better water it. You can't just do a good watering once. You know, you have to really know the soil and make sure that you continually water, that you put fertilizer in it. When you see those black bugs on it, right, you got to take care of that. But you're, you're watching it. I, I planted three dogwood trees at the beginning of the summer. And uh, two of them are doing really well. And one of them, not so well. That is just like family. I mean, I've watched families with great parents. They were put in the same soil. I mean, these trees are only eight feet apart. It was all prepared the same. Uh, we cut down trees so they all would get the right amount of sunshine. Two are doing really well. One is not. And so I have to work extra hard at the one because I want it to survive, right? I want it to do well. And as we have showed you when we were talking about marriage, the tree with the root system that you have in your notes... That's really what, a, what applies, because the problem with that tree is in the roots. It's not, it's not on the bark. It's not on the leaves. In fact, if it had black spots on the leaves, and I went and cut all the black spots off, would that heal the plant? No, because the black spots are being produced by something out of the roots. That is so true with our kids. So it seems to me that what we all have to do as parents or grandparents, and by the way, I know we have a couple of grandparents here. You know, when you're a grandparent, you value your grandkids maybe even a little more than your kids. In fact, I've heard many grandparents said, if I knew grandkids were this much fun, I would have went right there, skip the kids. But... Um, it doesn't change. When you see that next generation rising and you see all the mistakes your kids are making with them, I mean, it really drives you nuts, doesn't it, Mark? <laughs> um, but we have, to, we have to say to ourselves, there aren't, there's nothing you can do occasionally to raise great kids. Whatever you are doing as a regular way of life with them, that is absolutely going to determine, humanly speaking, how they turn out. I mean, I was raised by a father who was a yeller, and he yelled a lot. And we all sat at the dinner table. There were six kids. We all knew what was in his, the reach of his hands. Because if he grabs, he grabs something and just wail you. And so you didn't sit down at a dinner table without a sense of environmental awareness. <laughs> and um, it is so funny because I, I remember saying this in my mind. Because I watched him one day come back from teaching my older sister how to drive. And so they get out of the car. He is screaming. She is crying. And, I, you know, I said to myself, you know, because I had all the wisdom of a 14 or 15-year-old, what an idiot my dad is. I will never do that. And then in my first year of marriage, we're in Philadelphia, my wife and I. I'm teaching her to drive standard shift, right, because we have a little 
black Volkswagen. We're on a hill, rush hour traffic, we're about 15 back. It's about the fourth time she stalled it. And she says to me, why are you yelling at me? And guess where my mind went? Right back to what my father had done. See, here's the truth. It doesn't matter that I thought at the moment I'll never be like that. Small things done often works for positive or negative. I had been exposed to that so much when it came to the point where I was in a situation without even realizing it, I'm adopting what I hated in my father. That's why we said with marriage, you can choose to believe anything you want. But once you have a heart belief, it owns your life, not you. And that statement, after doing counseling for a long, long time, I have seen thousands of times. So we all have to be careful because here's the most important thing we're going to talk about this morning. Your results in parenting, and not only parenting, with your family, with your wife, your results are going to be determined by who you are becoming. Because when you are adopting beliefs, heart beliefs, that are the right ones, or when you're culling out heart beliefs that are the wrong ones, that's who you're becoming. And we're to become Christ-like. That's why so many times with um, counseling, you get especially a man who will say something like, you know, that's just not me. I can't do that. Well, of course, I know it's not you. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need to become like him. So let's figure out how you can actually change, not solidify where you are today. So you have to make no changes. So the amazing thing about parenting is the most powerful impact, same thing with your wife, is going to be what are the small things you are doing in your own life so that you are growing and becoming more Christ-like and godly? Because if you're not doing that piece, you've lost. You can't expect children to change when they see a father who won't change. When children grow up with a father who is not defensive, but is really open to growing and changing, and the same thing is true as a grandfather. I've got four grandkids. That allows them to actually be able to grow and change. And in our culture, men, they desperately need a godly parent and grandparent. I call it the um, snicker bar syndrome. How many of you have ever, ever eaten a snicker bar? Okay, a few of you. Is it good? Yes, it is. <laughs> a snicker bar is great. You know, you can eat a snicker bar, and you can just love that taste in your mouth, right? And then you can walk into the house and your wife has a bowl of fresh strawberries. Absolutely, you know, red and the best of strawberries, organic. <laughs> and if you eat that strawberry after you eat a Snickers bar, what does it taste like? Crap. <laughs> right? You say, why would anyone eat strawberries? But you see, what makes the Snicker bar so good is it has a very high amount, an abnormally high amount of sugar in it. And the sugar doesn't come from nature. <laughs> the sugar is man-made. And so if you learn that that's what I need and that's what I want, 
you will never eat strawberries. But the problem with the Snicker bar is this. What does it do to your health? Number one, it begins to destroy your immune system. Your immune system, two things it hates. Sugar, that is not from natural sources like fruits and stuff. And glutamate. You've heard of MSG? (laughs) You know, please, I'll take my Chinese food without any MSG. The G is glutamate. It's in everything. Just like corn syrup is in everything. What they do is it deteriorates your immunity system. And so, yes, you're going to love eating that Snicker bar, and you're going to get sick more often. You are going to be less able to fight off germs and viruses in your body because there's a little war going on inside you. You have all these good soldiers. You get them from apples and strawberries, etc., And they are trying to strengthen the immune system. And then you have the enemy. And the enemy you feed and make strong by eating Snicker bars, etc. And MSG. And if you strengthen that, then what you've just done is you've mortgaged your future. Now, that same thing is true about your kids. The culture is feeding them snicker bars. The culture is telling them things that absolutely, if they follow, will destroy them. It will hinder their marriages. It will hinder their ability to know God and grow. Your job is to feed in your children Those things that we get from God that are going to strengthen their ability to stand against the culture because we can't remove the culture. The culture is there. And so we really have to say to ourselves, small things done often, what are they? In fact, here's what I'd like to do at your table for a couple of minutes. If you got your child took one of your children, put them in front of you. Let's say they're old enough actually to understand. That's about 32, 33 years old. <laughs> no, let's say, it's, let's say it's three and four. See, only grandparents know that. <laughs> um, and you said to them, these are the five most important things I want you to believe. What are they? Figure it out around your table. What are the five most important things you want your grandchildren or your children to believe? We're going down to the root system here. Go ahead, take a few minutes, figure that out. Halt your uh, time for just a moment. Um, obviously, you have to be a change agent for your kids, right? And really, for your wife. So let's look at a movie clip that'll help you know how to do this well. Daddy and I are making some changes so that we can be happier and healthier. And we're starting with this meal that I prepared. I think it looks great. Doesn't it look good? What is that, grilled cheeses? No, baked baked tofu. Oh. It's actually really tasty. And the lettuce is so fresh and tasty that you forget how good lettuce tastes on its own without dressing. No, dressing always gets in the way of the natural taste of the lettuce. And another thing we've decided is to cut back on all of the electronics we use. Basically, what we're going to do is get rid of the Wi-Fi, and only use the computer from 8 to 8.30 at night. How are we going to go on the computer? We're going to have a hard line in the kitchen. Yeah, we'll supervise that. You can't do this. You can't take away the Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. You don't spend enough time with the family when you're constantly on your iPhone and your computer, and 
You know, you should, you're only here for five more years. So you won't see me after five years? No, but you won't be living with us. And you should get to know your little sister. You've got the perfect friend right here. I don't want to be friends with her now. I'll be friends with her when she's 20 and a normal person. I don't want to hang out with her when I'm in my 20s. You're on the computer too much as it is. You need to get outside more. Do some playing outside. Yeah, you can build things. out. You can build a, a fort outside. What? Yeah, build a fort. Play with your friends and have... Make some... a fort outside? Yeah. And do what? Have little... Do what in the fort? When I was a kid, we used to build tree houses and play with sticks. Nobody plays with sticks. You and Charlotte can have a lemonade stand. Play kick the can. Look for dead bodies. That's fun. That's fun to do. Get a tire and then just take a stick and run down a street with it. Nobody does that crap. It's 2012. You don't need technology. No technology. Charlotte, put that down. I don't need to be monitored all the time on the computer. I don't do anything bad. Nobody said you were bad. I don't do things I'm not supposed to. I don't illegally download music. No. I don't look at porn like Wendy. She is up to no good. She's not allowed to come over here anymore. What's porn? No, she said corn. This isn't turning out the way I wanted it to. I'm not hungry. No computer. Listen to your mom. I need to use it for my homework. She's out playing us. I know. She's tough. Okay, so there's a lot in there you can actually kind of ferret out, right? In terms of helping your children change. Um, but sometimes that's what we do. You know what a typical parent does? They get to a point where they're frustrated with how they're doing parenting. And so they wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do this differently. And they bring in this whole new program, and the kids just love it, right? <laughs> that's not the way to do it. Let's take a look at a second clip, because it really has some insight. Nobody ever listens to a teenager. No, everybody thinks you should be happy just because you're young. And they don't see the wars that we fight every single day. And one day my war will end. And I will not die. And I will not tolerate abuse from anyone. <laughs> I am strong. My mom's kicked me out when I got jumped into the gang life. But I'd like her to see me graduate. I'd like to be 18. Ms. G, carry something from my diary? That'd be great. Who is he? Man, he's been with us since freshman year, fool. What's his name? The summer was the worst summer in my short 14 years of life. It all started with a phone call. My mother was crying and begging, asking for more time. I said she were gasping for her last breath of air. She helped me as tight as she could and cried. Her tears hit my shirt like bullets and told me we were being evicted. She kept apologizing to me. I thought I have no home. I should have asked for something less expensive at Christmas. On the morning of the eviction, a hard knock on the door woke me up. The sheriff was there to do his job. I looked up at the sky, waiting for something to happen. My mother has no family to lean on, no money coming in. Why bother coming to school or getting good grades if I'm homeless? The bus stops in front of the school. I feel like throwing up. I'm wearing clothes from last year, some old shoes, and no new haircut. I kept thinking I'd get laughed at. Instead, I'm greeted by a couple of friends who were my English class last year. And it hits me, Mrs. Gerwell, my crazy English teacher from last year, is the only person that made me think of hope. Talking with friends about last year's English and our trips, I began to feel better. I received my schedule, and the first teacher is Mrs. Gerwan, room 203. I walk into the room and feel as though all the problems in life are not so important anymore. I am home. Yes, you are. 
what gave him life? Hope. One thing you have to be to your young children is they have to grow up knowing that they go to you for hope because they can't understand the God piece yet. And then your job as they grow further is to show them you are a person who hopes in God. And as they see in your life that you hope in God, then they can learn to hope in God. And they can come to you as a person when life isn't working and things are confusing and they are hurt and you're a person that will help them find hope. That needs to be one of your five things. That you are a person who has this relationship with God that provides hope for you, and you can call them into that. That doesn't happen because you have a conversation with them. That doesn't happen because they memorize a verse about it. That happens because they see it fleshed out in your life. There's no other way to get there. We have to be that serious and intentional about how we raise our kids. And by the way, your wife ought to see you as a person who, who has this ability not to lose their hope in God. And she can come to you for hope. You know, the two passages you looked at uh, over the week were the two major passages in the Bible about parenting. There's other verses that talk to parenting. These are the two major ones. And, you know, I asked the question, which passage is talking about an outcome and which passage is talking about a strategy? You need to know the difference there. Now, the truth is, they both have a little of each, right? But the psalm, Psalm 78, clearly states the outcome you're trying to get your children to. If you don't know where you're trying to get your children to, you can wander in the forest forever and never get out of the forest, right? Here is the major outcome you are praying for your children or your grandchildren to get to, that they would put their hope in God. That means they will trust their life, whether it's good, bad, or whatever, to God. And they believe that even things that are hard and difficult and tragic, God can work and bring good out of it. doesn't make the tragic untragic, but it just says there can be a purpose in it. You can suffer as an individual if you believe it has a purpose. But if you're suffering and you don't think there is any purpose to your suffering you will not suffer well. With God, there is always a purpose. And so getting your children to a place and letting your wife see in you that you, your hope is in God. Your hope is not in your job. Your hope is not in uh, you know, these five steps to successful living that you picked up on the internet, your hope is in God. And that he will be able to make sense out of what's happening in your life eventually. And you want to die trusting him. So that's what you're trying to get your children to. Now, can you make your children get there? <laughs> no. Is there going to be one or two events that make your children get there? No. It's this long process. And they will have a much harder time getting there if they don't see that in you. 
So that's one, you living out to the extent you can, the outcome you want your children to have is the most critical thing you could do in your children eventually getting to the place where they put their hope in God. But believe me, it's like the snicker bar syndrome. The world will bring all kinds of opportunities that they think are the answer, and they'll put their hope in that. And it's a snicker bar, because the real stuff that really creates life, that comes from the strawberries. That comes from what God's about. So it's in, this is a good section for you to read over as a regular basis that you would remember, what is your job? It's to help your children put their hope in God so they can help their children put their hope in God. Goes down three generations in this verse. All right, what's the strategy? That's the Deuteronomy passage, right? And the strategy is that you would be living the kind of life with God so that they're immersed in that, and hopefully your wife. It's like learning Spanish, right? What's the best way to learn Spanish? Immersion. Go to Mexico, go to Guatemala, go to Ecuador, go to some place where you're put in a home and that's all they speak. Because in that environment, you will learn Spanish that actually works, which Spanish 101 in high school never worked. You'll learn Spanish in a way that it becomes natural to you. It's immersion. That's what your kids need. They need an environment not with perfect parents. They need an environment with parents who, when they go astray, repent and come back to God. They don't need a parent that they're afraid of. You know, one of the best things you do for your kids is you become an emotionally safe dad. And too many dads are not emotionally safe. That's why grandparents are so good. They tend to be emotionally safe. Your children have to get to the place where they know you are not going to go off your rocker when they hear what you did. They need to know that even though you are not going to like it and there may be consequences, you are going to be gentle you are going to listen more than you talk. You're going to physically hold them. And you're going to guide them. They need that. They need an emotionally safe dad. And with God's help, you can become that. You know, I got to the place in my own marriage where I don't yell at my wife. That was a big wake-up call in Philadelphia to me. By the time we had kids, which was actually 10 years after we got married, three kids, my kids hardly ever heard me yell. Now, especially with boys, there is a time for a little of that. <laughs> but the general approach has got to be, you can talk to me. And so one of my favorite phrases to my children was, after they laid out something that wasn't good. Help me understand that. <laughs> As opposed to, you're an idiot. <laughs> Let them tell you they're an idiot. <laughs> Help me understand that. And it's that safe environment that your little plant needs to grow strong. And if you're an unsafe dad... Your, your plant's not going to do well. It's going to be afraid of what you're doing to it. So those are two great passages. So what you have to do in immersion is you have to become more the person God wants you to be. So here's the question I have. How many times do you do 20-second prayers with your kids? 
I mean, I know you pray with them before they go to bed. You may pray at meals. Uh, how many times, though, when they're telling you about something, do you just put your arm around them and say, let's ask God about this? And so during a week, multiple times, they see you going to God for answers. And how many times do you say to them, what do you think God would want you to do in that situation? Not, son, this is what you need to do. Why don't we figure out what God would want you to do? You've got to accept the fact you're not going to get perfection from your children. Our standard for our kids easily becomes perfection. This is what you ought to do. When you say this is what you ought to do, what you mean, everything. Perfection. And it was like my dad. You could do 97% of the job well. Did he talk about that? No. He talked about the 3% you screwed up. If he, if he does that your whole childhood, which he did, you will think you're not very capable because I have failed my father a thousand times. And you never get over your dad. But you don't want to be that. You want to be the father who actually is safe and talks about the 97% or the 70% because you're never getting 100%. (laughs) So parenting is serious business, but its foundation is you becoming a growing believer where you are living out this relationship with God so that God is real to your children because he's obviously real to you. That's a hard assignment, man. You're not going to do that alone. You'll forget it. You'll get so wrapped up in your own stuff, it'll drift, and two months from now you'll say, ooh, I should have been doing that. That's why you have table groups. One of the things you ought to be asking of your fellow table men is, hold me accountable to some things. Please hold me accountable. And then you need to figure out what are the steps that you're going to engage in in your own life, faithfully, small things done often, so that you become the man that is the giver of hope that eventually allows your children to see God as the source of hope. That's where we all need to go. And you won't get there if you quit the first time you fall off the horse. You will fall off the horse. I want you to see your children as children with roots. We tend to see our children by just what's visible, right? In the first tree. The second tree is we see our kids as having roots. Roots are the belief, the heartfelt beliefs. Some of them are true, and some of their beliefs are lies from Satan, many times through the culture. And if any of you get to the place where God ever blesses you with middle school girls... God help you. Because middle school girls, (laughs) they are so easily influenced by the culture because the culture has told them, I will tell you what is good and, and what is desirable. Middle school boys don't tend to care that much. Middle school girls, yeah. In fact, when we look at Discipline problems in the life of girls in their whole 12 years of school, guess where it's the largest? Middle school. When you look at problems for boys, K to 12, it's the largest in the three semesters, starting with freshmen in high school, halfway through 10th grade. That's when we have the most problems. That's when they need a lot of help. God set it up that way so you don't have to work on the problems, you know, at the same time. But 
what a girl does is someone looks at her and says, you stink. And she believes she stinks. And if someone says something from her peer group that she admires, they take it as truth. Who is going to tell her just because someone says it doesn't make it true? Here's what God says about you. This is true. This is who you are. They need a parent to say that. So you need to be figuring out what are the beliefs that you're going to inculcate into the life of your children, and you can't do 12 of them. Every year you're working on two or three Many of them, multiple years, you're working on them. That's why you had better figure out what are the five most critical things my kids need to have heart beliefs about. And then you need to work with them in a way that it's likely they will do that. Now, just so you know, Social media is killing our kids. You guys have to figure this out. And your children, if they're already in 10 years old or above, are not going to like your solutions. <laughs> kind of like the first uh, film clip. But you better figure out the way not to allow your children to be owned by social media. You know, many girls go to what they call pro-Anna sites on the internet. Anna is for anorexia. There's a bunch of sites on the internet that are encouraging girls to be anorexic. Absolutely see it as a positive thing. We have a lot of girls that end up at these sites, and the sites tell them, if you are going to be liked, you better be as skinny as a rail. And if you're not, you're invisible. No one even knows you're in the room. They don't even see you. So if you want to be seen, if you want to be desirable, and that's what these sites promote. And seldom do I find a parent who knows their daughter is on that site. Many times, they can't be on that site at their home. They're on that site at their friend's home. With guys, if you end up with inward processing guys, you know, guys who are kind of shy, guys who don't connect, well, don't connect easily with people, they easily get into gaming at an addiction level because they can, by themselves, win and be victorious and feel like they are incredible, but everything they learn in that process in gaming has no application in the real world. Now, I know there may be one or two, you know, exceptions to that, but believe me, for most of those folks, it's only in the last uh, 12 years or so do I end up seeing college students who have been to college the whole first semester they have never attended a class. They've spent 20, 30 hours a week gaming. And it is so satisfying and so addicting. It is the same hormones in their brain that sex produces, that cocaine produces. And they're finding in their little world, they are, they're at level 10. If you have inward processing boys, you, had, you need to watch out for the gaming piece because you don't want to be one of those parents that finds out they didn't even attend a class. They lied to you the whole time. Um, you know, in school today, it's not a positive to be a virgin. That's a negative. And so your kids are growing up in a culture where if they are not sensual, 
if they are not willing to have recreational sex, they're not cool. Yeah. Technical sex is popular where you do everything including anal sex, but you don't have vaginal sex. And somehow that's okay. The other thing I would say this is with porn. You know how tough porn can be. Do you know that the chemicals in the brain that give you your high from porn are four times more powerful in a teenager than an adult. Four times more powerful. That's why if we see a person that has spent several years in their teens in porn, they are much more likely to become addicted to it in their adult life than someone who starts in their adult life with porn. And what porn does, and we used to say, everyone does it, it's not a problem. Well, now we know that is absolutely not true, even from a medical viewpoint. Because what it does is this. Your brain calls out what you don't use. And it strengthens what you use. So when you get to the place where you get your satisfaction in the context of porn, where... Uh, you don't have to have that. That person will do anything you want. You don't have to work with a real person. The part of you that God instilled where sex is actually related to a real woman, that gets called out. And so men are finding out that even when they have sex with their wife, they have to think about porn or they can't get an ejaculation. Because that's the pathway they have strengthened. And it also, if you overdose enough, because today kids are exposed at levels you weren't exposed. If you do it enough, it will kill your desire to make life work in other areas. So we have a ton of men in their 20s who have no desire to play sports, no desire to... Uh, work on something and develop, uh, you know, an invention or something. They don't want to master anything except they want to do porn. It kills those other areas. And it's so relevant today that there are non-Christian sites on the Internet helping men get out of porn, not for any Christian reason, just because they know it destroys a person's life. And they make it very clear, this has nothing to do with God. We don't believe in God. But here's what we believe in. Porn will destroy your life. And what they find out is this. When they can get a man to go for 90 days without porn, the original part that God created reinstitutes itself. That's a gift. But men, you no longer cannot talk about porn. It used to be that about 70% you know, of boys would actually say they were into porn and about 25% of women. The woman ratio is going way up. So today you actually have to talk about porn to your daughters, which you never had to do 20 years ago. And we find women sexually addicted to porn at a rate we've just never seen. So those are issues you have to take care of. The other issue is this, that they, you need to teach your children there's value in intergenerational connects. 
Because this generation is growing up believing if you're not a peer of mine, you have no value. That's a bad place to be. When you're in your 20s, you will make about 80% of the decisions that will affect the rest of your life. 80% in your 20s. And if you make them and the only input you have is peer input, you're not going to be making very good decisions. And so people put off getting married till later in their late 20s or early 30s, that's common now, because they can get all the sex they want without marriage. I mean, that's the heart of it. If we took that away, where to have sex they had to get married, we'd have men getting married at 22 and 23. But if you can have all the sex you want and you don't have to get married, you're going to get married at 20, at the average age is about 27 and three-fourths. But that means many people get married for the first time in their 30s. Then you're going to have kids, and when they have grandkids, you're probably not going to be a lot of influence in their life. And if they do the same thing as you do, then they're not going to know their grandkids. And we're going to lose this whole intergenerational thing. So it begins with you as a dad teaching your kids there's value in people outside your peer group. And that needs to be taught because the culture is teaching the opposite. The culture is teaching a snicker bar. And you've got to help them see a strawberry. Okay, let's go to the big framework for parenting, because you have some blanks there that if we don't fill in, some of you will have a very hard time. Question. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's a losing battle if you try to solve these issues alone. Now, we're at the place we're in because of this. Number one, adults have the least amount of biblical knowledge they have ever had. So we have a rash of illiterate parents biblically speaking, trying to raise kids. You know, when you put your hope in God, it affects every area of your life. Every area. You know, I counsel a lot of people. The question I always ask myself as I'm counseling them, what are the spiritual roots that we're going to have to deal with? We may not start there, but we're going to have to get there for real answers. Spiritual roots, because they all have them. But we're biblically ignorant many times because we haven't taken the Bible seriously. Secondly, in my generation, we read a lot because there were only a few books. <laughs> I could probably name six or eight books when I was raising young kids that were kind of the standard books that if you were serious about it, you read them. Dobson was a big one, right? Today, there are thousands of books. And so what you all tend to do is you don't know who's right, who's wrong, what's worth reading, what's not worth reading, so you read nothing. I, when I deal with men, many times I have to, I can't give them books anymore. They don't read. 
I have to Xerox chapters out <laughs> because I can get them to read a little chapter, but they're not used to reading. I mean, they'll read in their technical area where their job is, but that's it. They'll read fiction, some of them. No one reads, very few people read serious literature. So we are even ignorant, more ignorant than we've ever been of what's out there that would speak to these issues. And then we as parents have never been so caught up in trying to make our own life work because the culture is beating us up and we're not doing well. And we easily get into our life and what we're struggling with and we just don't have that kind of time for our kids. So I think all of that kind of comes together. But that's why, uh, spiritually speaking, um, you need to learn what we're teaching in Fellowship Institute, the theology. You know, I asked my kids, I think I may have told this before, but when I, I asked my three kids when they were in their 20s, what was the best thing we did to help them grow spiritually? Because we had a lot of programs. <laughs> I mean, they memorized 300 verses. And, and they did it collectively. So at 12, they could say all 300. We've been working on it since they were two. Right? I mean, we did a lot of things. Went and served at missions, et cetera, et cetera. You know what they all agreed on? That was the number one most powerful thing that helped them in their Christian life? our conversations at dinner. I didn't prepare for those. But see, that's where they brought to the table what was really concerning them. And they wanted serious answers. And because I'm in counseling, one thing I did learn early on is how to be a safe dad. And so they could ask me anything. And if they had a, just a terrible opinion, you know, you have the ability not to put them down, but to begin where they are and move it to letting them understand something that maybe would change how they believe. Where if I had started by saying, like my dad, are you an idiot? Did you say that out loud? Did you? I mean, that's, that really helps conversation and growth. But, so what you do when you're not formally doing is really important because it shows who you are. That's why the key to parenting is you becoming a man who's walking after God and growing because that's the basis of everything else you will do in parenting that's effective. No getting away from it. You can't make this a hobby. You, before God, have to make your own growth a serious occupation. And you won't do that alone, most of you. So you do need help. You do need other men connecting with you. Accountability. Accountability, yeah. Yeah. Just real quick, and it's just kind of along what we think is that, so at my previous church, we had a men's Bible study, and we kind of spoke on some of this stuff. And what happens is when there's a church that times fall short, is that the assumption is if you're in church and you're saved, Yeah. Absolutely. Rod, that's right on. That's why we have a walking free ministry here. That's why at times you hear people from the platform share that they have been addicted to porn. Because we want you to know that doesn't make you the black sheep. 
But if you want to grow out of that area, we have a way to help you. And many times in church, people will never say the word porn from the front of the church. Yeah, Mark. Yes. And so he, it would not be surprising to me if we're constantly reacting. In other words, we're a little bit behind him, so to speak. You know, we're not anticipating the next thing. So we've got to have our antenna up all the time and be really, really in tune yeah. to what's going on around us. Ephesians 6, right? Last half of the chapter, the armor of God. Because we don't believe Satan is real, we don't take his influence. We miss it. And yet he's owning a big piece of us at times. All right, let me uh, get these. We got a lot of, um, you know, inward processors that need these blanks filled in. So I'm going to read through this. It is essential to understand the big picture of parenting before jumping in to the day-to-day job of parenting. That's what we've been talking about. The big picture should coordinate our parenting actions. It tells us which are the big rocks I need to deal with, I, the five most important things I want my kids to know, and which are the small rocks that may irritate us but aren't important. At its highest level, parenting is about helping our children to adopt a God-given belief system. Adopt a God-given belief system that will guide their behavior. Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44, father of lies, who deceives us into thinking untruths about God and ourselves. Jesus Christ is the truth and calls us to know who God really is and who we are as his children. The issue is how we define our identity. One of your five, you ought to consider having that my child would know their identity in Christ so that the world doesn't get to set their identity. Remember in the garden, Satan lied to Eve about God's motivations, about her needs and the rewards of disobeying God. The battle is fought in our minds before it shows up in our behavior. We all know that's true. But there's a big difference between knowing the truth of God and believing the truth of God. Believing the truth of God. Just because your children can tell you what salvation means doesn't mean in their heart they have this belief. They may have the knowledge in their mind, but not the belief in their heart. Believing the truth of God. We are often fooled into thinking that knowing and believing are the same thing. They're not. You can recite what you have memorized from Scripture, and that tells us what we know, that verse. But it's not a belief until it drives our behavior. A belief is knowledge we trust in so much, it changes our behavior. So, as parents, we are most concerned about identity beliefs of our children or grandchildren, what are their learning... They're learning to trust these beliefs. Their behavior will lead us to see what the beliefs are. That's how you know what your kids believe. Look at their behavior. Any repetitive behavior has a root belief. Let me put it another way. Every repetitive behavior you see in yourself or your children has a root belief. And that's where the fuel is. At the root of all repetitive behavior is a belief that we trust that creates an attitude in our world of emotions that culminates in behavior. A valuable exercise is to list the exceptionally good and bad behaviors of each child. This would only include behaviors that are repetitive. Then see if you can figure out the beliefs at the root of each behavior and the attitude it creates in the child. The deepest beliefs do not come from a child's mental wrestling that result in a conclusion. They come from a life experience, a life experience where the belief is embraced emotionally first without being consciously examined. 
So, often the child has not even expressed the belief in words. As an example, a child that is always being compared to a sibling with better behavior might hold the belief that they are defective and a disappointment to their parents. That might create hostile behavior towards the sibling or unexplained anger toward the parent. But be assured, all repetitive behavior has a belief fueling it. If we follow a model of parenting that is reactive, we will deal mostly with just behaviors. Don't do that. That leaves the belief unchallenged. Belief unchallenged. So even if we stop a particular behavior, the belief will express itself through other behaviors. Our framework for parenting must also recognize the power of modeling a loving relationship between mom and dad. That means what we talked about when I talked about a month ago, living out the mutual submission that Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 talks about. Mutual submission. Children are strengthened when they see mom and dad enjoying each other, having fun together, being playful, and deeply showing their care for each other. Man, I can't tell you how powerful this is. If you want your children to have a sense of security, they need to see that you're in love with your wife and that you have fun together and you are encouraging each other and you are not yelling and screaming at each other with maybe rare exceptions. Like the wife tries to turn off the TV when you're watching the Falcons. We get that. But it should be the exception. Mom and dad must have an emotionally safe relationship where communication flows back and forth without fear of judgment. Fear of judgment. That's what you need to have with your kids, too. They can come to you, and they won't have this fear of judgment. Then they must establish an emotionally safe relationship for the children where communication can flow back and forth without fear. That can only be established by spending time together. Spending time together. Working and playing and teaching skills and learning together. Then I gave you a sheet on porn just because it's wrecking our men, our children. Hey, guys, this is probably worth reviewing and figuring out a plan for your own growth, a serious plan for your own spiritual growth. All right, why don't you at your tables... Do your uh, closing, praying for each other, and summarize first, what's the one thing God wants you to take away from today? What's the one thing? And write it down. And then at 7.30, I'll pray for all of us. If we go, let me just uh, add a comment. Some of you may want to consider going to counseling or this area we've been talking about. If you do, I would encourage you not to tell your wife that we need to go to counseling. I would encourage you to tell your wife, I need help in parenting. Would you come with me? Because your insights would really be valuable. But I think we need to have something in our life that would cause us to focus in this real important area. And, you know, going to counseling for six or seven times might be the kind of structure you need. And if you invite your wife along, that would be a better way than another approach. Let me pray for us. Yes. Beautiful. So it's interesting that like we've been talking about this for months and actually just putting it off and she was waiting for me to be the leader to help me do it. And so I finally actually I ironically called Fellowship Bible Church Church in DMV, scheduled it, we got to the day of and the guy gave me the address and we're like, We can't make it, it's like whole state away. <laughs> and so
Yeah. Yeah. And Marcus, you need you need it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do pray that the uh, whatever the spirit of God has put in the hearts of these men, that you'd protect protect it so Satan doesn't steal it. So they leave here and um, don't think about it again. I would pray that whatever you said to these men, they would hold it as a precious word from you for their life and that they would give themselves to being faithful to that. Because if you speak, Lord, we all need to respond. So I pray for them in that way, strengthen them, give them a sense of hope that the walk with God can do amazing things in their family. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.